Welcome to Control the Controllables. I'm Dan Kiernan from Soto Tennis Academy in Spain, and we've teamed up with Max Tennis Academy in Ireland. We've brought this podcast together to entertain, educate, and energize the tennis community through the different lenses of the sport that we love. From Grand Slam champions to those at grassroots level, from sports journalists to backroom staff, Our aim is truly to get under the bonnet of the tennis world at all levels. So sit back and enjoy the show. Welcome to episode 108 of Control the Controllables. Today we've got Holger Rune. Holger, age 17, is already world number 317 in the world ATP. He's been world junior number one for about two and a half or three years now. He is such an exciting prospect. And after you sit and listen to him, you will hear the self-belief, the self-confidence that comes through so loud and clear. When we had this conversation, it was about four or five weeks ago. And it really hit me how strongly he felt he was ready to be a top 100 tennis player in the world. Since then, he's gone on. He's qualified out in Chile, out in the ATP event in Santiago, and then made the quarterfinals, including beating Benoit Paire, world-ranked 29. And I've been around this sport for many years now. I said it about Carlos Alcaraz, when I saw him about a year ago. I have zero doubt if Holger Rune stays healthy that we're going to be talking about top 100 player in the world in the next 12 or 18 months. And then how high he goes, who knows? Was I sitting having a conversation with the next Roger Federer? Was I sitting having a conversation with someone who's going to have a successful tennis career? Or was I sitting having a conversation with someone who at some point is going to get caught up in this sport and not be able to deal with the adversity that comes his way. I really don't know. But what I do know is he's he's a fascinating young man. It's great to have him on the podcast. And I'm sure you guys are going to make your own judgments. I'd love you to reach out and let me know what you think. I do apologise that the sound isn't the best. He was speaking on his phone And I can't help thinking that maybe he had his finger over the microphone a little bit. Uh, But if you turn it up, you'll be able to hear him. And it's a short podcast, which I'm sure you're going to take a lot from. So I'm going to pass you over to Holger Rune. So Holger Rune, uh, a big welcome to Control the Controllables. How are you doing? Yeah, thank you. I'm doing very good. Thank you. I'm having some days off here in Paris uh, after some very good tournaments to start the year. So I'm, I'm happy. Yeah, you've, you've started the extremely well. And, and for those listening, Holger comes off the back of, of a final of a 15,000 event at Rafael Nadal's Academy and then a win last week in France. So is that is that because of the hard work you've been putting in over preseason? Yeah, for, for sure. We did a very good preseason, me and my coach. We started with a lot of fitness. We had some a week off, I think, without anything. And then we started, like, I think seven or ten days just with fitness, trying to build up some muscles and everything and, and then putting more and more tennis before the tournament. And I think that 
not something we've done the, the other years, but I think that was very effective this year because I'm growing, I'm getting bigger. So I could really feel it on those two tournaments here. I had energy from the start to the end and uh, I was feeling incredibly good on course. That must be a nice feeling to be to, to hit the ground running at, at the start of the year after you after you put that in. And does that link into what your goals are? What are your goals with your, your world junior number one? You have been for a long time. It seems very clear now you're ready to make the, the transition into being a, a, a top professional tennis player. And if you don't mind, last year I was at those events and I saw Carlos Alcaraz play who I know is your age, and it was very clear to me then he was ready to make a big move. And it seems that you're ready to do that now as well. What's your goals for 2021? Yeah, I mean, I have, I have a few goals this year. First, it's uh, now I actually played these two futures to be able to play the challenges because there you get a lot of more points and it's easier to get in where I want to be in the end of the year. But it's uh, first of all, it's to, I have a goal for myself to get into a French Open qualifying here yep. this year. And, and then to end the year in top 100. So that's, that's my ranking goal. And then I have, we, me and my coach, we have a lot of, the, you know, technical goals and, and, and more into the game, coming more in, coming more to the net, improving the serve and everything. So yeah, my, my like ranking goals are coming into top 100 by the end of the year. Do you think your level is top 100 level already? Yes, I think so. I've been practicing with uh, Felix and Daniel here three weeks ago. And I know it's different with the practice, but still, I can I can definitely compete with them. I can play play good. I can beat them. I can lose to them, of course. But I think you know, knowing that I have the level gives me a lot of confidence when I'm out on the tour playing. So so I know I can do it. So and I I think I'm ready for it. So I'm just excited to play more tournaments now. Great, because I I'm a big believer, Holger, that you have the level before you have the ranking. Yeah, exactly. and and. And I, and I think a lot of tennis players try and search the ranking when they don't have the level, you know, and, and, and they get it the wrong way around. So if we then start talking about bigger picture, you know, you seem like a very ambitious young man already. You know, you, you've had a fantastic junior career and you seem to be like a like a knife through butter already into the professional game. What are your what are your career goals I mean, my ultimate goal is to win every slam, to be like Roger. I mean, he's, he's my favorite player, so I want to be yeah. like him. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's crazy, but, but it's my goal. So um, yeah, I want to be there. And I've done my research. I like to, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a tennis coach. I'm a tennis geek. I love, I love tennis. You know, I've obviously known your name for a long time. I've, I've followed as I follow everybody in tennis. I've spoken to people about you. You know, I've listened to your you talking. And one thing that absolutely strikes me from yourself is that you have this inner self-belief, this this strong ambition, but that you strongly, strongly believe in that. But the other thing that strikes me is how that's not very Danish. It, yeah. It's not very Danish tennis player. So so where has this mentality come from? How have you been able to develop that? And where did the tennis thing start for you in order for that to happen? Yeah, I think I think it's as you say, it's not very Danish because uh, I mean most of the kids in, in normal clubs in Denmark are not like this. They're more like just playing tennis or just having fun and and don't really want to work for it. But yeah, I mean I have very good support from my mom, from my dad, and from my coach. We have we have such a good team, and and my sister as well is is, is supporting as well. But uh, 
I think always from the beginning when I started tennis, I was always wanting to be the best. And, and I was playing football and tennis at the same time, but still at tennis, I always wanted to win. I always worked harder than the other. And I always had like, it was something special to me, tennis. And it's still out, of course, but, but you know, I'm, it's normal for me to work hard there and, and, and really want to do something with it. And at what age did do you remember? What's the age that you first remember thinking, I'm good at this sport. I can make a career out of this sport. Um, I think, I mean, I always had the dream, but even when I was six years old and seven years old, when I started playing like small tournaments in Denmark, I thought I was good, of course, but I, I was willing to work and I was willing to do everything it takes. I know it's such a long way and it, it still is. I mean, I'm only 17 and, and it's still a long way, but, but you know, I'm, I'm willing to it. So even when I was seven, I thought I could be the best in the world. I know it seems crazy, but I, I was, I was always believing in myself. And and is that the age that you started dedicating yourself to tennis? So how what have you done in terms of schooling, other sports, socializing, friendships? When, when is it has it become that tennis was the main focus at such a young age? Yeah, I mean I was playing football and tennis uh, at the same time for like half a year and then then I was choosing between football and tennis and I chose tennis and I'm very happy that I did that. But uh, yeah. I think when I started playing tournaments and, and I've always been a good competitor, I would say I've always had the like willing to win every match I play. And I, I think from the first tournament I play, I always wanted to be the best. So, so I, it's from a very young age that uh, that things uh, started to do well for me. And you've obviously won a lot. I would imagine that from a young age, you won a lot of matches in Denmark. And then age 15, I believe you were world number one junior. Yeah, yeah. Fourteen yeah, or fifteen? Sixteen. Sixteen. Yeah. And uh, so you, you've you've had that feeling all the way through. Now you're playing futures events. You're winning. <laughs> you know, you're 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 getting so used to that winning feeling. At some point, most tennis players hit a point where they actually do start to lose some matches. You know, whether that's at 200 in the world, whether that's at number 10 in the world, how yeah. do you think you're going to handle that when that comes? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's very hard, obviously, because I think last year in the beginning of the year, I had some wildcats for some very strong tournaments and, and maybe I was not mentally ready for them last year already. I was, as you said, tennis, I was ready for it, but not mentally. And I lost, I think, five matches in a row to begin the year last year. And and that was tough, but but still, I think I managed to, to come out of it pretty well and, and work hard, but still, when I look back, like all the way back to tennis Europe, you go from under 12, you go to under 14. Then you play all the guys that are one year older than you. And it's, it's so much more tough. And I had to fight through that. And the same when I had to go from tennis Europe to ITS, it's so much more tough. It's now it's four years older than me in, in ITS. And I had to fight against players that were bigger and, and stronger and have played more experience. So, so I think I'm, I was pretty used to, to, to like new things and, and tough opponents. So it was like kind of the same thing in, in the pro tour here. I, I, I managed to get out of the world last year and, and now it's, uh, it's been the good uh, winning streak again. Is the mental side of a game something that you work on? Yeah, I had, I had uh, one mental coach, I think throughout the one year of my junior. And then, and, and now I, I just have my mom who's helping me. She knows me very well. And, and my coach, my tennis coach. So, so now we're just working and, and I feel like it's, uh, many things are very important, but I feel like you get to a point where 
you have your things, you know what to do on the on the court. So it's mostly about taking the right decision in the tough moments and everything. So, so right now, I don't have a mental goal. Okay, because I, I, the other thing that I find very interesting about you, Holger, I believe that you're still working with the same coach that you were working with from age five, six. Yeah, six. Yeah. Incredible. So that's yeah. very it's very unusual in the yeah. world in the world of tennis. So talk to us a little bit about that relationship. Yeah, I mean, actually, when I started playing tennis, he was the coach, just a normal coach in the club. And, and and first, like, the first half a year, I wasn't practicing with him, but he could see, like, something in me, I guess. I was working harder than the others, so he took me over and took me some private lessons. And from there on, I think he was really good coach, and he still is. He's very technical, and and he, he now he's, he's improving as a coach as well, and I'm improving as a player, and I... Actually, from now on, I don't think I even need to change the coach because he's really developing and I am also and we have a good relationship. Of course, like there's ups and downs when you're together all the time, but but still we know each other so good and I know he's good for me and, and, and that's very important. So so I, I really like it and I, I want to continue with him. So when you're practicing in France, is does he come with you as well? Yeah, he's, he's with me. And yeah, there's there's some other coaches there as well, and they help as well. They help me, and they try like to to tell my coach stuff, and and he can think about it and and say it to me as well. So so they it's it's very good. He gets some inspiration there, and 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 that can help me throughout my game. So Holger, I think that's amazing, and I don't think enough tennis players do it. But if you don't mind me challenging it for a minute. I would imagine he's almost like a big brother or like a father figure to you yeah. after working for so long. Is there the danger that that relationship becomes too comfortable and then when there's something difficult that needs to be said to you, which which it will, because right now you're good. I know you're good. I've seen you play. You're going to get to top 100 tennis player without opening your eyes. But there's going to come a point where you need to take it to another level if you want to reach your goals of, of being yeah. the greatest player of all time, of winning these events. Do, does that relationship allow for that honest conversation to take place? Yeah, well, I have, I'm very lucky, actually, because my coach is extremely honest. And, and, and I think we can like be happy and friends off the court. And when we're on the court, we're, like, it's another world. So And, and, and the same... That's also why I have my mom with me because she's so strict and she's like she's very it's, it's me and my coach are training and she she's like we're too relaxed and everything. She's like, Come on guys, do do it do the good now and, and stuff so she's like the that. real boss. She's the yeah, boss. She's the real boss <laughs> and, and you cannot, you know, play games and have fun. She's she's really strict in that way. So so that's good. So she's keeping me and my coach on the on the right direction and everything. So I'm I'm not scared about that. And where's so where's your mum's where's your mum from? What's her background? Um, she was dancing ballet when she was young until she was eighteen, and she was really good. And and now she's working and of course traveling with me so much, so it's, it's hard for her to work all the time. But uh, yeah, so she she doesn't she didn't know about tennis before, but she she's very technical because ballet is very technical, so she can yeah. see like a lot of things with footwork and everything, what looks right and. And now she knows a lot about tennis because she's watching me play so much. And, and now she knows if I do like forehand wrong or anything, she can say small things to me. But still, my coach prefer, prefers 
she does the coaching stuff and she does like the mom and mental stuff. So, so that's the recipe. That's so. And where's she from? Is she Danish? You know? Yeah, she's Danish. Yeah. So, so uh, I guess again, I'm just asking the question. It seems, it seems like she has that very strict, regimented way, which maybe she's got got from the dance and the ballet, because I think it's quite yeah. a strong, it's quite strong in that field as well. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah. And and in terms of all of these things, even coming on the podcast, it probably doesn't help that I'm telling you that you're going to be a top 100 player with your eyes closed. You know, I'm sure you have had lots of people tell you how good you are. I guess in one way, that's nice to hear, but in another yeah, way, nice <laughs> does that does that build a pressure on you? Is that something that the expectation is something that you that you feel and, and how are you going to be able to handle those expectations over the next few years? Yeah, the, the funny thing actually is that I like pressure. I, I don't know. Some people, they, they don't like pressure. They feel nervous and everything. But for me, pressure is only a good thing. I, I get more like, I get more pumped on the court. I, I feel that drilling in even more and, and it brings out even better tennis in my game. So, so that thing has actually always been, been a good thing for me. Also, when I was very young and I was supposed to win every tournament in under 12 and 14 and stuff like that, it just helped me where I know from a lot of other people, it, it doesn't help them. They just get more nervous and they lose. So, so I'm, I think I'm, I do pretty good when there's something, you know, I have to win or, or something like that because that's also why I think I'm very good in finals in general. Pressure is a privilege. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it is, and it's a mentality I love, but it's not normal for for juniors or youngsters to feel like that. So where where do you think that came from? Where did you learn to love pressure? I think because I'm, I've been standing in those situations for so many times, actually, where I was supposed to win, as I said, and, and it was big finals, and, and oh, there was a lot of pressure from yeah, the Danish media and everything, and and all of those things, but but yeah, I don't know. I just feel good with it. It's, yeah. I don't know what, how to explain it exactly, but yeah, it just feels good to me. It sounds like your mom is a very influential person in your life. Your coach is a very influential person in your life. But who's who's your idol, your hero in the game of tennis? It's uh, Roger Federer. And have you met him? I've met him. I've practiced with him a couple of times in London when I was the hitting partner there, and he was extremely nice. He's such a nice guy. He was probably the nicest guy, I think. He's so chill and everything, and amazing player at the same time, so he's just perfect. And what were his words of advice for you? He didn't specifically give me any advice. I didn't ask for anything, but uh, I was practicing with Sveris, and he said, like, as you said before, make sure you will be easily top 100 and everything, and so, so that's always nice to hear from the pros, but uh, yeah, Federer, he, he was just mostly focusing on, on himself and his baby. <laughs> so you have you have the race against time to get your ranking up, to get into these events, to yeah. try and come across Roger before he retires. Yeah, I hope, I hope so. I mean, I hope he will still play when I'm there. I need to play him. <laughs> so let's say... You're playing him. You qualify at Wimbledon next year. You get drawn against Roger Federer first round, centre court at Wimbledon. Do you believe that you can win that match? I mean, I always believe I can win. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I would probably tell myself not to have too much respect for him because 
in this case, it's not the not the danger to have too little respect for him. So I'll probably say like just think of it as it as a normal match and, and go play and have fun and and let's see what happens. I, I wouldn't uh, predict anything. Two weeks before that Wimbledon, he announces he's going to retire after Wimbledon. Do you want to be the person that puts him out in the first round? Uh, yeah, why not? I mean, <laughs> I mean, it probably would be not the nicest uh, Wimbledon for him to finish. But yeah, I mean, I have to think about my own career. <laughs> You've got the killer instinct. You've got the yeah. killer instinct. I, I, I like it a lot. And and as you're making your way from junior into playing these events. You're still a young pup, but you've got some good experiences and Grand Slam Junior wins. In your opinion, what's the most important factor to becoming a top professional tennis player? Yeah, I think it's it's believing that you're good enough because I feel like a lot of junior guys, top ten juniors, they have the level to play, but but they don't have the the brain to play, and and they take stupid decisions and everything. And and I see when I play the top guys, and I'm. For example, serve first shot is extremely important on, on the pro level. And when I really focus on those shots, it helps me a lot. And, and all of those small things where you want to go for drop shots, stupid things, is, it's so important not to, because that's like, the, yeah, I don't know how to say, but it's so important to, to be able to play with these guys and not take this stupid position. And again, you mentioned the word belief. Yeah. How does a player get belief? How 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 does somebody install belief in somebody? Yeah, I think it's believing your own, believing yourself, believing your level, believe you're good enough. I mean, if you, if you practice hard and you, you do good in practice and you have a good team around you who also believes in you, I think automatically you're going to believe in yourself. I wish I could take a little bit of that. I've got a tennis academy in Spain and I wish mm-hmm. I could take a bit of that belief and drop it into many different players. Because I guess, I guess the thing with telling someone to believe in themselves is is difficult, you know. But I think one thing that seems again very clear with your team around you, because you've had such a consistent team around you, if they are telling you that they believe in you, you know, that then starts to actually play play on the on the person a little bit more. And yeah. they've they've obviously done a very good job with that. Yeah, I think I think it's it's good that you know, close people from you is, is saying, I believe in you, because that's more like you, you believe it more than it's yeah. just other people around, you know, come and say, I believe in you and stuff like that. There's so many people can say that without knowing you, actually. So I think it's good to hear from your close friends or your coaches, mom, dad, or whatever. And what, one thing I'd like to ask you about, Holger, is data analysis and statistics is becoming a bigger part of of the sport. From a player perspective, is that something that you use that you're interested in? Yeah, hundred percent. My coach takes a statistic every match and he puts it into his computer and everything, so we we know exactly what to work on and and what to improve and what is getting better and everything. And as I said before, the seven first shot is also one thing we're working on. So, so yeah, that's that's really good because then it's so easy to see what has to get better because. I mean, a lot of time you see tennis matches and it, you look, oh, it's such a good match, but if you take statistics, it's actually not a good match. And, and yeah. so it's, I think it's very important to do. So what are some of the common statistics that you look for in your own development? Um, for me right now, it's it's most about, the, as I said, the first shot and, and return and, and first shots to get better at those because every time I get the point in play, I almost 
always are better than, than my opponent. So I need to, to yeah, improve the serve, find ways how to serve smarter and everything. So, so I can get up on the, on the percentage there. And what about in terms of when you're playing a player, is there data and information that you want on that player before you play them? Yeah, I mean, usually, I mean, if it's players that I've played before, my coach has a statistic, so we can see it together. But otherwise, then normally my play, uh, my coach, he, he goes on YouTube or whatever to look a little bit on the player, and, and he comes to me and, and tells me the, uh, the tactic before the match, the night before the match, and, and, and we take it a little bit in the morning as well. But usually I don't like to watch too much of my opponent before the match. Okay. I mean, I got to focus on what I got to do and, and just, you know, know what they're good at, know what they're bad at. So if you have a match at 10 o'clock in the morning, how, how does your morning look? What's your preparation like for that match? Then we will probably be waking up at 7, 7.30, three, three hours before a match. And, and then eat breakfast, do the warm-up and mobility around 30 minutes and and then warm up on the feet around 15 minutes and then go on the court. One hour before the match, hit 30 minutes, just, you know, get the, the shot going and everything and then relax a bit, remember to drink a lot and, and so I'm ready for the match. And when and when do you like to talk to your coach about the match? How how far in advance of the match? We usually talk the night before about the match so I can yeah. sleep on it and just think a little bit about it before I sleep. And then we take it in the warm-up just before the match, just very short, like, okay, he, he asked me what if he said, and boom, 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 and, and then I go on the court and I'm ready. So, so we take it like two times, but one where we like talk more and one very short one. Well, it seems like the routine's working very well, you know, yeah, and, I think, and, and I think that it's very important to have that. If I just take you outside of tennis, Holger, yeah. you're, you're still only age 17, what else have you got in your life? School? When did you? Are you still at school? When did you stop school? Yeah, I, I I'm not at school anymore. <laughs> I stopped school in ninth grade, uh, and then like you have to do zero to ninth grade, and I finished that. Then then there's high school, but you you if you don't want to go to high school, you you are free to do something else. Only if you want to do go to college, you have to. But that's not my plan. So I want to be a pro, and. Yeah, so so right now it's it's actually most about tennis, tennis, tennis all the time. But yeah, I have I have a couple of friends in Denmark who I'm seeing, and also I mean friends on the tour who are also playing each week like I do, and and so it's it's not a problem with friends for me. What happens if you get injured? Yeah, I never get injured. <laughs> like I mean, I have small injuries sometimes, but but never really injuries. I'm 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 too strong for those. <laughs> Your self-confidence and belief is amazing, Holger. Fair, fair play to you. And and it's tennis, tennis, tennis now. But let's say you have an amazing career, which I'm sure you will. You you stop playing age 35. You might go on Rogers, Rogers the old man at 40. You know, you might go on to to this age. Do you at this stage of your life? Do, are you even thinking about what you'd like to achieve after tennis and how you'd like to use tennis as a platform for, for other things? Or is that not anything that's in your mind currently? I haven't been thinking a lot of it because, I mean, I have a whole life in front of me with tennis. But, but yeah, I mean, I've been thinking a little bit what to do after because I've also been thinking I like I have a sweet tooth. And, and I mean, 
when I'm playing, it's okay. I can eat a little, but but if I'm not doing anything at all and, and eating all this bad stuff, it's, it's not very good. So <laughs> I have to find a way to eat healthy, even though I'm finished with the career. No, but but yeah, I mean, of course, I I guess I still want to be into tennis when I'm when I'm done. I don't know how, but uh, yeah, I mean, I haven't really think about it. Like, yeah. Do you support a football team? Do you have a football team that you support? Uh, not really. I mean, I I liked Real Madrid when Ronaldo was playing, but yeah, now it's yeah, now he's not there. So. <laughs> and any yeah, so if we say you said Roger Federer is your hero and your idol, is there anybody outside of tennis that you look up to? Um, I think Ronaldo. He's he's very nice. I mean, he's he's a great sportsman and and he's just incredible, hardworking as well. And and when you listen to interviews with him and stuff, he's, he's like he's very good to hear. Holger, you're a, you're you're on it. You've got a you've got your mind you've got your mind going in one direction. It's 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 very very clear. Yeah. If you could, if I could just ask you one more question before we have a quick fire round, what would be one piece of advice you would give to a younger player starting out playing tennis? Um, I think it was my mom. She told me, "Do it with passion, or not at all." And um, I think that is a if you want to do something, if you want to be good at something, you should really do it with passion. Not just do it. I mean, if you want to just have fun with it, it's fine, just have fun. But if you really want to do it and be good, you have to do it with passion because otherwise there's no chance of, of being what you want to do. What a great message to finish to finish the podcast. I'm going to take you into the quick fire round. Are yeah. you ready? Yes, I'm ready. Serve or return? Serve. Forehand or backhand? Um, forehand. We know the answer to this question now, but Rafa or Roger? <laughs> Roger. <laughs> I like Rafa, so, but, but Roger. Yeah. <laughs> the ATP Cup or the Davis Cup? Um, I haven't tried ATP Cup yet, so I would probably say ATP Cup. Three sets or five sets at Grand Slams? Um, five sets. Working hard or working smart? Working smart, definitely. What's one rule change that you would have in tennis? Oh, I think play without lip, actually. What they did in juniors. I think that was pretty fun. That would be really interesting, especially, yeah. I always think that would be interesting in America with the way the nets really bounce up high. You, yeah. know, you, get, you get the crowd's reactions. And and who who should our next guest be on, on Control the Controllables? I mean, Roger would probably be tough to have, but uh, you should try either Felix or Medvedev. I like it. If the, yeah. the next time you beat them in a practice set, yeah. You've got to say, if I beat you in a practice set, you have to go and do a podcast okay. and control the controllables. Yeah, I would say that. <laughs> Holger, you've been a star. I have no doubt we're speaking to one of the absolute bright sparks and bright stars of the future of men's tennis. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. All the yeah, very I'm best. For, to be here. Thank you. All the best for 2021. And we look forward to seeing you on our screens very soon. Thank you very much. A big thank you to Holger for coming on the show. He's certainly a very interesting character and a fascinating young man. To any of you that are that are new to the show, a big welcome. To to those of you that 
have been listening and been with us from the beginning. A big thank you. As always, please do keep passing on these podcasts to your friends, to whoever you think will benefit from them. At the end of the show, we my wife Vicky comes on so we can unpack what we've just listened to. And I'm really fascinated to know what you thought of that one, Vicky. Well, I certainly haven't come across many or any 17-year-olds with that self-belief. Yeah, I mean, it really did. I mean, I, I, I had looked into it before we spoke and I'd spoken to a few Danish players. I'd spoken to a, a few of my friends and they'd said he's a lovely guy, which he absolutely was. There's an unfaltering self-belief in him and how very un-Danish he is. Now, it's a bit of a sweeping comment because I certainly don't know the whole of Denmark or the whole of Scandinavia, but in my experience and my friends that I have from that part of the world, they do tend to be very understated. Uh, they don't like to put themselves out there. And, and in terms of what happened actually with us getting in touch with Holger, John McGann from Max Tennis put up a post on social media of Holger and said the world junior number one for the last two years. And actually Holger personally jumped in and said, actually, it's three years. And I think that seems to me the way that he lives his life, all he cares about is tennis. He has zero, zero doubt in his mind about what he's going to go on to achieve. And I guess the the big thing I wanted to try to get to was, yes, but Holger, that's amazing, but what happens if you have difficulties? What happens if you do get injured? What happens if you do plateau in ranking? You know, all of these different types of things that do happen in the game of tennis. And he just seemed very, very unfazed by it all. Yeah, even when you asked him directly about that, and he just said, no, I'm, I'm too strong to get injured. I was like, oh, no, don't say that. I'm running around touching all the wood in the house. <laughs> I would be like, oh, I'm jinxing myself. Yeah, just unwavering self-belief. Yeah, and I, I, I do. I, I, I have no idea which way it'll go. I, I'm pretty confident for him that he's going to be a top 180p player. You know, I think he, he absolutely has the pedigree, the level... But I just don't know because, you know, once you then get to it, whether he plateaus at 70 in the world, if he plateaus at number five in the world, I don't know when that will happen. But what we do know is every single player, everybody in life has to deal with difficulties. And it just feels to me that he's not going to be prepared when those difficulties come. And I don't know who am I to who am I to say that maybe he just blasts through and has an incredible career. But I certainly think that we will be seeing his name over the next twelve or eighteen months, and I certainly see him being someone to really watch in the game. He's seventeen years old, young pup. Yeah, I mean it's it's incredible, and you know I wonder how he will look back on these sort of chats actually when he is. 21, 22, 25. Oh, I mean, the difference between 17 and 21 alone is huge. It's a huge jump for any any young teenager, let alone a player who's who's certainly playing at, at this level. Yeah, I think it's, it's going to be a really interesting period for him and for all of us watching. 
So absolutely. So watch out, watch out for the name Holger Rune. And like I say, if if it's anything to go by, we seem to have the magic, the magic touch right now well, with our guests. I don't guests. think we can be claiming any credit, but we've certainly had um, some of our Control the Controllables podcast guests have certainly had a pretty successful week. I mean, I am absolutely taking it. It is, <laughs> it is already on my CV. <laughs> These conversations, I'm a, I'm a sports psychologist, life coach. <laughs> I'm helping them get in a good headspace. But yeah, I mean, I guess starting off at the ATP event in, in Dubai, where one of my favourite people in the world, Xavier Melisse, is now coaching Lloyd Harris, who we also had on the show. We've had both of those guys on the show, and Lloyd Harris came all the way through qualifying and, and made it to the to the final of the ATP 500 event, a really breakthrough week. And he was such a lovely guy when we had him on the show. We were speaking to his coach at the time, Anthony Harris, and Lloyd offered his time up, came in and had a 20-30 had a 20, 20, minute chat and uh, it's taken them six or seven months for the magic dust to work of control the controllables. But finally, he's starting to make his breakthrough. And what an incredible week as well it's been for the Skupski brothers. I know, Dan, you've had some early mornings or late nights um, keeping up with them this week. Just incredible for, for, for Ken and for Neil. You know, having, having them on the show a few weeks ago, there's certainly been a lot of doubt surrounding whether they should have got back together. And here they are winning their first ATP 500 event as as a team in Acapulco. Neil's second, and he won one with Jamie Murray. And just seeing the boys' faces this morning, yeah. I mean, when they when they won that, Ken coming up to age 38, you know, with his with his little bro by by his side, it was such a lovely, lovely moment. And doing it the hard way, beating some serious players obviously having the win over Jamie Murray and Bruno Suarez very bittersweet after after what had happened with Neil and Jamie and then going on and having two such fantastic wins in the semi-finals against Joe Salisbury and Rajiv Ram and then to go and then beat I believe the world number two pair in in the final um, was was just incredible and, and just shows where their level's at. I think Ken now moves up to number 45 in the world. Neil moves up to 23. And it just puts them in a place now where it's like, na 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 told you so. You know, we're, we're great together and I really hope they can build on it. But a big well done, boys, from oh, all at Control the Controllables. The photos coming out from Acapulco this morning have had us smiling all day. Just their big smiles on their faces. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it's not just us. I'm sure lots of British tennis fans have been enjoying the win and enjoying those scenes coming out of Mexico. And then we've got Dasha Kazakina, who won her second WTA event in St. Oh, Petersburg. Oh, we love Dasha. We love Dasha. Yeah, I mean, she was, again. What I love about these chats is you get a genuine insight into where people's mindsets are. And Dasha's had a really difficult two years. And she sat there with a big smile on her face. And at times, she showed real emotion, how hard that had been. But she got herself into a place where she's comfortable. She had, again, it's the same message. Her mind isn't on winning. Her mind is on other success measures, giving her best, the ability to go out there and perform with freedom. 
you know, looking to develop a game, playing the game and expressing her game the way that she wants to do it. And I came away from that conversation absolutely convinced, convinced that she was ready to be able to push on this year. And I believe I read after the event that she's number six in the race already this year, the WTA race. That's two WTA wins and and championships already this year. And yeah, and I'm sure you're not listening, Dasha, but if John Morris, her agent is, please do pass this on to Dasha. Uh, a massive well done from us all at Control the Controllables. And yeah, let's kick on for the rest of the year as well. And then our last shout out goes to Lloyd Glasspool. I've actually had a couple of people reach out to me and say, Dan, did you ever speak to him about the sports psychology, which he mentioned on the podcast where he said it's a load of nonsense? And the answer to that is yes, we did. We had a couple of conversations on it. And and actually, he, he does do his own work on that side of things. He maybe didn't quite realise that that was sports psychology as such, but the routines and the way that he looks after his mind and his body are really paying dividends and and the one for me with Lloyd actually as much as I would love the podcast to take the credit back in September Lloyd started his master's degree at Loughborough University and and I just think taking the pressure off at just being tennis 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 has has really worked for him as I, as I believe it works for lots of players and if you follow what Lloyd's been doing on the doubles court the last few months, he's he's really hardly lost a match or certainly hasn't lost a match before he's got to a final. And he made his debut, uh, maiden debut that he got into on ranking at the ATP event last week in Marseille where he went on to win the doubles and then he flew off to Italy where he's now won the doubles today at the ATP Challenger event in Biella. He moves to one or two in the world, closing in on those double digits, which is such a a place to be, an amazing place to be as a tennis player. And he's shown signs of having a real career in the sport as well. And yeah, so I guess the... The moral of the story, if you want to get your ranking up, if you want to have some wins, you better get in touch. We better get you on on, on the podcast. And if you haven't listened to any of those episodes with the Skupski brothers, Lloyd Glasspool, Dasha Kazakina or Lloyd Harris, we'll put the links to the episodes in the show notes for you. I think all of those episodes are a great listen. And if you haven't listened to the rest of them, make sure you do. There's a hundred, <laughs> there's a hundred and seven more for you to go through. Yeah, these shows have really been fantastic. These guests are giving their time up for free to give you these amazing messages. Please continue to pass them on to anybody that you know that you think will benefit. And we will continue to work hard to bring them to you. But until next time, I'm Dan Kiernan and we are Control the Controllables. Control the Controllables.